been said that Christian music sucks. Uh. Hopefully the antidote will dispel that myth. The antidote features bands that range from indie folk to metalcore, so whatever your likes and dislikes are, you're going to be hearing it on the antidote. It's always tough to follow up the epicness of the lady that's standing right next to me, Tracy Elliott and the Berlin Wall. Now, you have to cast a little sympathy her way because her fav- one of her favorite bands, Lacuna Coil, was in Toronto. And yes, she only just found out about it. So that is a sad state. But for now, you're just going to have to put up with me. I'm Dave Hawkins, and you've tuned into The Antidote, where we play artists who have a Christian worldview. So the Canadian band Down Here is featured tonight. Now, Down Here has been around since 99 and has produced a number of critically acclaimed songs over the past decade. Mark Martell is one of the two lead vocalists for the band and has recently been featured on both The Ellen Show and CBC News. So listen to the interview I had with the band to find out why. And that will be coming up after our first song.
Like Winter from down here's second album, So Much for Substitutes. Now, listen this up to the, the antidote. Interview. I'm Dave Hawkins, and I'm here to spend a few minutes with the band down here. Can I get you guys to introduce yourselves? I'm Mark, I sing and play guitar. My name's Jeremy, I'm the drummer. My name is Glenn, I play bass guitar. I know that the band's from Canada, but whereabouts in Canada are you guys from? I'm uh, from northern British Columbia. I'm the West Coaster. And uh, then Glenn and Jason, uh, who isn't here with us today. Jason, they're both from the Toronto area. Glenn's from Cambridge. Jay's from Brantford. And Mark's our token French-Canadian. He's from Montreal. So you cover the whole countryside. Cover all the bases. That way you can go to every region and everybody will be happy. Down here's always been a prolific band. You got a total of what eleven releases have come out of the group since uh, your founding in '99. How do you develop your songwriting craft? How do we develop it? Well, it's kind of like anything else, any other skill. You kind of just work at it, even when you don't feel like it. You know, a lot of people just are kind of baffled by people who write, and they just think it's all from being inspired, waking up in the morning, and oh, God gave me this new idea. Well, that's about 90% of the time, even more than that, that it's not the way it happens. You know, you sit down in your studio, you make your coffee, you get in there, play music, and there's a lot of bad stuff that you got to weed through before you get to the good stuff. And the more you do that, the better you get at it. Uh, learning from other other musicians and kind of making that, you, you know, mixing that with your own style and, you know, maturity. Some people have it right off the bat in their younger years. That wasn't the case for me, that's for sure. Uh, I started writing when I was 14 or 15 and would be embarrassed to show any of that to, to anyone. But uh, it's just uh, like anything else, you get better at it as you go. The band has won like a multitude of, you've had Covenant Awards, Juno Awards, Dove Awards over the years and nominations. So does receiving any of these type of awards influence your style or the musical direction of the band? Like, do you try to be radio-friendly, or do you just try to play what you want to play? You kind of have to walk the line there. Um, you know, artists who play their own music want to play their own music, and, and regardless of whatever anybody else wants to hear. But if you want to make a living at it, obviously, you've got to cater to a certain audience. And uh, I think we've walked that line fairly well in, in our 11 years together. I wouldn't say that specifically garnering awards has influenced my songwriting at all. One thing I can say has influenced my songwriting was is, is seeing people's reaction to different songs. Like I think of a, a time when we were playing How Many Kings in some church, I don't know, somewhere in the United States, and uh, as soon as I started playing it, there's this little girl in the front row standing there with her mom and as soon as we started playing the first note, she immediately recognized the song, and her face lit up, and she looked up at her mom, and she's, like, tugging on her arm, like, this is the one, this is my favorite one, you know, and I could see what she was sort of saying to her, and I thought in that moment, okay, i got to write more songs like that, and that influenced me, to, because that I knew I could tell that that song was making a difference in her life, and that's really what motivates us. You know, we've we've made the art, the sort of artistic record. I think our second record was probably our most all over the place stylistically thing. And, and I, I think we realized after making that one that we had to hone it in. And um, if we really want to make a living, that we did have to have the radio songs. Everybody needs the radio songs. That really is one thing in the music industry that hasn't changed yet. You know, if you probably will change eventually, but right now, if you don't have radio, it's a tough job getting people out to your shows. So um, we do make sure we've got a few of those on our. Uh, well, listeners of The Antidote know that we don't worry about having to be radio-friendly with uh, radio-friendly songs on this show. 
speaking of that, you, you talk about what style, what genre, how you're playing, being radio friendly. But now with the with the, your last album, you know, on the altar of love, you've changed up. It's a little bit of a mellower sound. So was that purposeful or is that unintentional? I think it just comes with. I don't know. I don't want to say maturity. We're not that old, but uh, I think the older you get, the more, you, the less you want to play the jump up and down songs. Really, is what it comes down to. And I know there are old rockers that just keep doing that, and that's great for them. But I used to love the the driving heavy guitar type songs, and and you know, there's more of those. The, the further back you go in our repertoire, probably. And like you said, um, the latest album on the Altar of Love probably does have a more uh, mature, uh, laid-back, mellow sound. And I think that that also has to do with focusing more on crafting the song rather than crafting a, a high-energy feeling out of your music and just kind of more focusing on the ideas you're trying to get across. I think part of it, too, is just the audiences we're playing for. Like, we're we're doing, in our first five six years of existence we were doing a lot of these youth weekends and that kind of stuff and so as we're doing those we're seeing the songs that they're responding to and i think that kind of informed a little bit of the, what we're writing and what we're playing live and so since we've been doing more of our own tours and people are coming who know our music it's uh it's changed a little bit as well so plays into it for sure yeah, and just to embellish on that, too, I've noticed that with you guys, when you play at concerts, you seem to draw a real broad range of ages, got right from young children right up through the teens, 20s, through seniors. So they all seem to have find that appeal with, with the band. How does it work when you've got two exceptional lead vocalists? You've got Jason and you've got Mark. How do you decide who's going to take the lead vocals on a certain song? Pro wrestling. Really, yeah, not even not even the high school kind of wrestling. That's that's the uh, with the belts and the all that stuff. And uh, we're pretty evenly matched in that too. So whoever wins gets to sing lead. But no, uh, and I'll, but if we were if we were in the states doing this interview, we would have said curling because it's just funnier in that context. But since you are Canadian, you wouldn't have found it funny. And maybe wrestling isn't funny either. But anyway, um, we basically Jason are. We do our songwriting in our separate corners. Um, we rarely write together. There's one song on the on the latest uh, called "Rest," which we actually co-wrote fifty like completely together in one afternoon. But usually he's at home writing and I'm at home writing. And over the years we've gotten better at writing for each other. I can almost hear what he's what kind of harmony he's going to add to my song before he does. And often had the moment where in the studio I'm like and he he's in the booth singing harmony to my lead and he'll say uh what did what did you have me sing there and you know after him trying to figure out what to sing for half an hour I'll say hey you want to try what I did on the demo and he'll go oh yeah that actually is better that's that feels more comfortable so we've gotten really good at writing for each other but usually the guy who writes the song is the guy who sings the lead on the song really but often we'll we'll pass off a, a bridge or even a chorus to to the other guy every now and then well speaking of bridges who do you want to throw off the bridge when you guys are touring? <laughs> do, you have, do you have a certain member of the band that just drives you nuts when you're in the tour van? Well, thankfully, we're in a tour bus now, so we have much more room. Guys can get away if they're getting driven crazy. and uh, You know, everybody has their own idiosyncrasies and, and over the years. I, I would say probably when you're in a van, those are magnified. But yeah, over the years, you kind of everybody sort of learns what 
what their idiosyncrasies are and, and everybody knows what kind of space they need to give. So I'm giving the politically correct answer that uh, we would not throw any of us off the bus. Or under. Or under. Well, I, I, people get thrown under the bus periodically, but uh, not off. second album so much for substitutes nothing much has been happening with the myriad since the death of their drummer randy miller back in 2010 
We can always hope, though, that they might put out some more music like this. A Clean Shot by The Myriad.
Josh Dyes is best known as the frontman for the raw rock band Showbread, but he has also released a substantial amount of music independently from his main band. With an electronic vein, this is A Mute Idol by Dyes. Norwegian band and no Andy I'm sorry this is not Viking metal but the Dream Pilots released their first North American CD last year from Come Down here is Keep My Soul (laughs) 
song, you're going to be hearing the second part of the Down Here interview. But for now, we've got a new track. And actually, this is from Down Here, from their new CD on the altar of love. This is Let Me Rediscover You.
Here's the second part of the interview with Down Here. The new album's out on the Altar of Love. You've got the new song, Let Me Rediscover You. Because you guys have had some really exceptional standout tracks over the years. My Last Amen, Fermenting is Beginning, and Surrender off the Wide-Eyed and Mystified albums. How do you say how this new song came about, Let Me Rediscover You? 
How did that come to be? That was the uh, the last song written for the album. We went into the studio in, um, I think it was mid-February, we started recording this album in 2011. And uh, come late January, I still didn't feel like I'd written that, that song I could kind of hang my hat on for that album yet. And uh, it was due to a lot of factors. I'd, I'd met and married my wife in the previous year in, in six months. And on top of that, it's, it was the, the busiest year we had had as far as touring. So we'd, we'd been all over the place, hitting it really hard, trying to break into some new market. And so I didn't really have time to sit down and really um, be the hermit that I usually am when I'm writing for an album. So I kind of sat down and said, well, what, what can I add to what you know hasn't been said on this album? And um, ended up writing Let Me Rediscover You, which I think in a way is kind of the linchpin song on the album. It kind of sums up the major theme on the album is it's like new beginnings and um, going back to our, our foundations and our beliefs. And uh, I was just kind of trying to write a, a song that just said my the prayer that I have as a guy who grew up in the church, a pastor's kid, you know, throughout high school and my youth, I, I felt like I had to be the kid. I wasn't just a pastor's kid. I was a firstborn pastor's kid. And so I was, you know, had to be the responsible one had to have all the, all the answers. But, you know, the older you get, the more you realize that that's the furthest thing from the truth. I don't have all the answers. There's no way that I could with it. If, if I believe, if God is really who I say he is, then there really is no chance that I even understand a fraction of, of who he is, you know, even though he's, he's revealed uh, enough to us for, for us to have a relationship with him. I imagine that there is an eternity more about him um, that is yet to be discovered. And uh, so that's kind of where I was when I wrote that. Mark Martell's, uh, you've become a bit of a YouTube sensation with your cover of Queen's Somebody to Love. So I think last time I checked it was something like 5.7 million views. Did you ever expect to actually be able to take the role of Freddie Mercury on stage for the Queen Extravaganza Tour? I certainly daydreamed about it every now and then. I'm like, wow, man, Queen hasn't had a lead singer for so long, and it'd be so cool just to do just one song with them sometime, you know. But how are they ever going to find out about me? You know, I'm I'm in this Christian market, and the the mainstream and the Christian market so rarely intermingle that I didn't think that it was possible for them to even hear about me. But you know, when this came up back in September 2011, I I thought, wow, this this could be the opportunity to to do this thing it came the the perfect the timing of this whole thing was so great because it came at a time where we were already planning on taking some time off in 2012 and i was wondering what i could do to supplement that that income and not being on the road and when i found out about it i thought wow this is this all happened within like a week of me even starting to think about 2012 and trying to plan for that somebody sent me the link to to the contest and uh, i immediately thought wow this possibly could be the exact specific answer to my prayer in a really weird, unexpected way. And I had a lot of hesitations actually um, submitting to it because one, I've, I've never gone on the road and, and done mainstream music. That'd be just, a, it'll, it'll be a very new thing for me. And the fact that my decisions not only inf- influence my life and my wife's life, but it also has the potential of really influencing the lives of the other guys in the band. And I still don't know what the outcome is going to be, what the opportunities are going to come from this whole thing. I think it's going to be a fun time for me, and I'm really looking forward to it. Most of the responses on YouTube are just that you, you are Freddie Mercury. <laughs> of course, we know that's not true. We know because we've known you're singing for over a decade now. How do you handle critics saying, well, he's a Christian performer? How can he go and play with a secular band? How do you answer that? 
well, you know, I, I definitely have wrestled with this. I've thought it through. And uh, the thing is, you know, Queen made a lot of really great music. And the, the fact that they have stood the test of time, their music is going to, I think, is going to live on as long as rock and roll lives on. Um, they've made some of the best rock ever. And um, I think part of the reason for that is that they were really in tune and able to express the human condition really well. And with its all its warts and all, you know, and I think that that in some ways I w- I don't feel always free to do that in the Christian market. Um, I think there is a little bit of a pressure to kind of make things smooth them over and and kind of uh, not talk about the the ugly parts of life and um, and always going to give pat answers. And I've always struggled against that. But the uh, thing is, with the Queen Extravaganza, we're not, we're not glorifying someone's lifestyle. We're not saying, hey, look at this, do this. You know, We're paying tribute to some really great music, and we're giving Queen fans something new to cheer about, hopefully. And that's really what it comes down to to me. Obviously, there's a couple songs on their repertoire that if they ask me to sing them, that'll probably bring about some discussions and you know possibly have to turn down a couple songs who knows so far so good and and they've been really understanding i've actually said that i said that from the very beginning obviously this is an issue for me as a believer and a follower of christ and they said oh we didn't think of that that makes sense and so they've been very uh, gracious and cool about it so um yeah i think it's gonna be fine after queen extravaganza and that all finishes up what's gonna follow for down here after that well, we've got a 30-city arena tour planned to follow that up. We'll all be wearing unitards, and uh, it's going to be pretty strong, I think. No, you know, I, I think as Mark was saying earlier, it's really going to be, uh, you know, businesses as usual. We uh, have a spring tour planned. We're going out with Aaron Schust and Jason Gray, a follow-up to the fall tour we just did with them. And Mark will take a break, and, and Mark will do the Queen Extravaganza thing, and then uh, we'll be planning a tour in the fall and uh in the christmas tour and kind of move forward and and just trust that as the lord uh, opens and closes doors that that he will continue to direct our path as he has for the last 11 years as a band so you know there's from a band perspective there's a lot of unknowns but it's you know it's a it's a, an exciting time and and we're super excited for mark and for uh, this opportunity we've known that this is going to come at, at some point in the in the years he's a fantastic singer and and uh, so we're glad it's here and and looking forward to walking that journey with him and i'm glad you guys were able to take some time and spend it with the antidote and fill us in on what's uh, new exciting and happening in your lives so again thanks each morning i get up i tie a little
Yes, believe it or not, that was Mark Martell. Even Andy here was thinking, no, this actually is Queen, but no, that was Mark Martell doing his uh, cover of Queen's Somebody to Love. So, of course, I guess you're going to be able to catch him this summer uh, as he performs on the Queen Extravaganza Tour. Next song we've got up is from Seabird. They were actually hit quite a bit of success in the uh, in the college tour with, with on their early days. But this is one from their very first CD, Till We See the Shore, and it had this premiere track, Rescue. Listen up. I'm pushing on daisies I wish they were roses I feel like I'm drowning But nobody knows it I'm pushing on daisies I wish they were roses I feel like I'm dying Just want you to notice Somehow the grave has captured me If I don't see that room soon, this might be my last breath. Somehow the grave has captured me. Show me the man I used to be. Just when I feel my breath is running out, the earth moves and you find me. Alive but unworthy, broken and empty. But you don't care. Strong, I 
feel like I'm dying. Just want you to notice. That was Seabird with Rescue. Next week, we're going to have some fun. You're going to be hearing a live uh, in-studio conversation we'll be having with indie folk performer Lauren Mann. And you'll be able to catch her and her band as they perform at the gantry that same night at 10 o'clock. So they're going to be coming in here, just shooting up the studio and dashing off to their concert. So here we go. Lauren Mann and the Fairly Odd Folk with Lady in the Yellow Dress. Sons of Disaster have really softened up their sound on their newest album, simply titled Four, following a tradition with One, Two, and Three. Now, with the band, they've, uh, like I said, they've always had that hard rock edge, but this is a little mellower. So see what you think. This is The Drought of 85.
Dave Hawkins, and thanks for listening to The Antidote, which is heard through the facilities of Trent Radio, 92.7 FM, C-Triple-F, Peterborough. Now, as I mentioned earlier, next week on The Antidote, you'll be hearing from Lauren Mann and the Fairly Odd Folk, who will be stopping into the studio and uh, sharing some tracks with us uh, from their about-to-be-released new CD, Overland and Sea. They're going to tell us a bit about their recording process and the basically epic producer that they were able to snag for this new upcoming album and also after our next song you're going to be hearing emily egan and jam fandango if you think that i've got an eclectic mix of music 
this lady does everything. She's played, she's played big band. She's played everything. So I'm sure that tonight we're going to get another uh, really interesting uh, mix of music. But our final song for the night comes again from the band down here, who we've been featuring with their interview with uh, with the Antidote. The album's called Thunder After Lightning, which actually were a collection of 17 songs called from 54 tracks recorded for their Wide-Eyed and Mystified album. Since, of course, you can't fit 54 tracks onto an album, those were some of the ones that they took out. So listen up to this this so-called uh, surplus song called Don't Be So, again from down here off the album Thunder After Lightning. Running around, chasing around 